0: For National Nurses Week, Fortis is honoring the millions of nursing professionals in our community, caring for loved ones. More so today, the need for nurses is vital, and Fortis College and Institutes recruits people like you to train to become a nurse. Do you want to be a nurse? Start your essential career in nursing with a Fortis education. Just visit fortis.edu to learn about hybrid instruction and online enrollment. Then talk to Fortis by dialing pound 250, keyword nursing school.
1: I'm David Eliku, and this is The Knowledge. A place for discussing big ideas and pressing issues. Each week, I'll be joined by a variety of incredibly interesting individuals for learnings, musings, and discerning chinwags on everything you need to know to navigate the world around you. This week, I'm talking with BBC journalist Hannah Ajala, Hannah's been travelling around Africa since sometime last year, telling the stories of people from the diaspora who have moved back to Africa to live and work. Hannah shared the stories and lessons she'd learned from the last few months travelling, and also her experiences dealing with the global pandemic right now in Nigeria. You can find Hannah on social media at Hannah underscore Ajala. If you like this episode, please do rate, review and subscribe and feel free to share it with a friend.
2: It's just, it's obviously a really strange time in the world right now, but you know, one thing that I really want to focus on is just being grateful to be surrounded by people with common sense that are actually abiding by the law and not just that, I guess, doing it for the greater good, you know, knowing that you're you're not going to go to the under, um underground barber because that, that's something that quite a yeah. few people here are doing in Nigeria that's not a shock um oh, really? you know going you know being caught with a fresh shaper but you've gone to that barber and you don't know <laughs> who they've come from and you've been mm. you know with them in close proximity and you could pass that on to someone else so I think you know it's just good to that I know people um that are just really trying their best to help um others because it's not just about ourselves
1: you know exactly and i think that's probably the biggest part for me because i think there's definitely the element of it which is the personal safety element and i think Mm. that you know obviously Mm. everyone should take their own personal health as a precaution but i think there's so many people that just don't seem to consider at all the fact that you know staying indoors also saves other people's lives as well like you are actively Mm -hmm helping to save other people's lives as well. And you being outside could also endanger others because you could be coming into contact with it. You could be asymptomatic and then someone else could end up getting it as a result or any number of things could happen. Um, And I was watching, there was, I think it was a show in the U S on the news where the, I think the mayor or the governor or someone from, Uh, Las Vegas was now saying that Mm. she's offering her state to become like a test case of what happens when everyone can go outside because I think she's been getting pressured a lot by people saying that they want to come out and she's like oh you know but in every test don't you have a control group that gets the placebo so we can be the placebo and I was just like do you not understand that these are people's lives that people will die And, and the people that die I think people somehow are still not putting together that people are dying and so many people will die Mm -hmm. and especially by the time this is over however long it lasts when people come Mm -hmm. back outside there will be a lot less people I don't I think people just are not connecting the dots at all and they're not realizing Mm -hmm. that I think maybe maybe a lot of people just think it's a conspiracy or people just think ah it's the government trying to control us or something or other but Mm
2: -hmm. people are
1: just not putting together that these are people's lives and people's lives are at stake. So regardless of whatever you think of the government or regardless of whatever you think of 5g or whatever else is going Mm. on out there at the end of the day, it's about, you know, just people's lives and humanity.
2: Exactly that. This is crazy. I I mean, even just what you've said, um, you know, you you've hit another nail on the head um, because it's not just about the present. It's about the future. Um, because obviously and you know, just the way humans operate, we cannot be in lockdown physically forever. People will start to rebel and just no longer listen and no longer abide by the rule. But just mm. for the fact that we've been, you know, offered this simple fraction of time to just stay inside. Um and people are being disobedient to that. That guinea pig story is wild. Um, RE Las Vegas. I know. I, I'm lost for words. Um But yeah, I I guess, you know, times like this, it really sort of like reveals humans and how they're being in this time. Don't get me started on, I don't even want to say our president, the president of Nigeria.
1: (laughs) The, the, don't get
2: me started. I really want to
1: ask about that actually.
2: Oh God. I mean, in short, David, he learned, he learned what it was called about, three or four weeks ago, he learned what the name of the disease was shortly after it was announced as a pandemic. And when okay. in his first address to the nation, he didn't even know what it was probably called. He called it COVID-19. Um, oh, there wow. are currently okay. so many memes and, um, and videos, you know, like and even some of my Nigerian friends are like, oh, COVID, you know, we've got to be careful of COVID. So no one's <laughs> seriously... From that onset, and then obviously the numbers started to rise here and etc. Lagos being the epicenter, I think there's like a couple hundred here thus far. After that, we've got a few in um, Abuja, we've got a few in Ogun State, um, and you know since that started to slowly rise, in his first proper address to the nation, he did then announce a two week lockdown. Now for people like myself mm. and my friends who are fortunate enough to live in really nice places, um, you know have 22-hour electricity, as I like to say, because NEPA you know, can strike whenever they like to. Um, you know, <laughs> a fully stocked fridge and money. We're in a fine position. Quite a few of my friends are doing very well here. It's nothing to them. They, they're making money in their sleep. They have house help. They have a maid that can cook for them 10 times a day. But my main concern is for people that cannot afford it. In a country of 200 million people, there is a massive growing population of people who literally cannot even afford a few grains of rice so that was a very big concern Mm. that immediately sprung to mind because I knew it was inevitable that was going to happen I was very thankful to have just landed in Nigeria a week before the lockdown and about three days before the airport closed for a month it's been closed for over a month now Um, and yeah I, I literally just thought of those people um, so it's been really amazing not only to connect with people that are also doing great things and offering out food and delivery packages. Um, you know but I, I was able to get in contact with a lot of single moms um, you know main breadwinners, bread, breadwinner story of the family, like even a 13 year old girl in a family of five, she's the only one that's making money so I was able to meet her and help her out and et cetera. But most importantly, what the governor should be doing, that's one thing that gives me, faith <clears throat> despite the president being completely incompetent there are amazing governors like oh my gosh the governor of Oyo state and my parents have added them to the prayer list because they love him so much mm. Shey mackenday he's really really kind man um has already been offering bits of his salary <clears throat> to the less fortunate <clears throat> um and, you know, has been really pushing for hotels, for example, to be turned into isolation centres. He's been doing bits. The Lagos state governor um, has also been doing quite well as well. Um, so it's just been a, a relief to see that there's some bits that are being done. But, yeah, it, it's still a concern of mine, um, poverty. And um, I knew that problems would come out of it because, if you, you know, tell someone that they can no longer sell um, that fan fanyoga on the street, which again feeds their families, um, you know, they that turns to poverty, obviously, and then that turns to desperation, and people that are poor and desperate result to crime. Um, so there were a few instances mm-hmm. of that happening um, on the Lagos mainland a couple of weeks ago, where there were like robberies. Uh, really really sad um thankfully no one was killed but quite a few people were attacked and obviously Nigerian police a lot of them are very 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 mad um so that's another reason why quite a few people that I know that are literally staying indoors don't want to physically go out because you know it did you know the way mm. they act can just depend on the day I'm considered as a key worker yeah. being a journo so I have been called into the um to the office here just to do like a couple of live reports just to sort of describe the atmosphere and how young people are finding it, etc. But I only go if I have to go, like if I have to go. And that's been on two occasions, it's been fine. So um, yeah, like I'm, I'm just very thankful to be in good company, I'm with family, I'm in a nice house, really nice estate, good weather. Mm. Uh, good food so just really counting my blessings I guess um, and yeah just thanking God for timing because again I said that I landed into Lagos uh, only a couple of days before the the um, airport closed um, and I'd just come from Senegal and literally the flight that I took from Senegal was the last plane allowed to leave oh, that wow, yeah, really? because okay. Senegalese borders are closed until June can you imagine that
1: wow from from just wow
2: ah i would have been fluent in french
1: (laughs) it's crazy that some of these african countries are being so proactive with their um their lockdown strategies actually especially with closing down Mm. airports because even in the uk apparently people are still flying in i don't know if they're (sighs) you know just bringing in brits that have been stuck abroad or whatever but i just think it's crazy that people Mm. are still landing in the UK and mm-hmm. also not being checked or tested or quarantined. They're just being told to Mad. go home. Cause I guess I understand the thinking from the perspective that, okay, because we're on lockdown, everyone is supposed to be at home. So mm. as soon as they get home, they'll be indoors. But it's still the fact that you could probably prevent a lot mm-hmm. of the spreading just by testing people as they arrive or just not letting people arrive. But if you're mm-hmm. going to let people arrive, then test them as they get in. And that way, Mm -hmm. you could stop anyone that does have it. Because as much as you say, oh, they're just going to go home anyway, on their way home, possibly on public transport, they're going to interact with Mm -hmm. key workers, they're going to interact with so many other people. And it's just going to make everything so much worse. So I don't see things slowing down anytime soon. But -hmm. you touched on a lot in what you were saying. And I think it's something I'd been thinking about a lot, particularly just considering how different Nigeria is to the UK. And I don't know how similar the situation in Nigeria would be to situations in other countries in in Africa, but particularly just from the perspective that, you know, in the UK we've largely transitioned to being much more of a service economy. Whereas Mm -hmm. in Nigeria, most, a lot of people still rely on, their jobs are outside. Their job is to be outside, whether they are uh, a taxi or a care driver, a car mm-hmm. mm-hmm. people that sell food on the street, people that do all of those kinds of things, even things that are very small, that yeah. makes up a huge part of the economy and that okay. is how they make their living. Yeah. And so without that, I mean, do you have a sense of how people are surviving at all? I'm not sure if they have any kind of government aid or anything like that, which I can't imagine being the case, but, you know, yeah. how are people surviving day to day?
2: It's quite sad, David, because, again, you know, I was just nodding like crazy to everything that you said. Um, in regards to relief that's being offered out to people, it's more so a, a rollout. Uh, we can't necessarily okay. measure how long until that reaches the whole of even one state, Um, you know, mm. and then...
1: Is it centralized or is it kind of state by state?
2: It's state by state, yeah. It's a rollout um, state by state. So, in Buhari's last address, he spoke about how X amount, every time I hear the word thousand, I literally shake because Mm -hmm. that is a mortifying number to start with, to be honest. Because, again, as this is like, and this is what I just need people to understand that this is a country with a population of 200 million. So we, we need to stop getting the thousands out because I don't know what, what thousands that's going to reach and, you know, how you're expecting a, a miracle to happen with such small numbers. Um, but yeah, he did announce that uh, thousands of aid and relief packages will be offered to families. Again, very ambiguous as to where, what area, when, da-da-da. like, again, having no clue. Um, but through friends that work at NGOs here, I've got um, a couple of friends that are doctors here, and etc. It's literally just, um, you know, just feeding the household because, again, with it being a populated country, not many people live alone. So, um, honestly, I don't really have a clear review of it, um, which is quite sad, but I can just base it on the people that I know that are helping people in any way that they possibly can. I was having a really, really good conversation, um, you know, with, um, my friend Kweku earlier today. Um, and he was basically making points about in, um, African countries, it's often very hard to quantify stuff because a lot of things are handwritten, um, many African countries yes, don't even have yep. an internet database where you can, like, say what is the current population, or how many people live in this certain part of Ogun State or um, your state, or, you know, what's, or how many people are expected to live in Benue State this time next year. It's very mortifying um, that hmm. these things aren't quantified. So it really, um, It really shortens our growth with how much we can do to help people. But the only thing that gives me faith is knowing that I'm connected with people all over the country that are really helping any way that they can. If they're sending money to other people's bank accounts, again food donations, cooking for the lady down the road that is suffering. Um, you know, to be a Nigerian is not only to be very prideful in your heritage, but to also be aware of the different type of people that live here and You know, there's a part of that which includes a lot of poverty. Um, You know, many people in this country know at least one or two or even three families that are not even lower class, but no class, almost, as my mum would say, because my mum always says that she grew up Mm -hmm. in a no class uh, family. So just being connected with each other, because sadly we don't have the resources and tools to really let us be aware of how many people are in dire need, but we are aware of the fact that people are in dire need. Um, so just doing the bits that we can really.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. And something that you touched upon that I was thinking about as well, actually is even the NEPA situation, because again, Mm -hmm. it's something that (laughs) is so easy to take for granted here where, you know, internet is, it's almost a commodity. You know, we've had politicians talking about everyone should have 4G broadband provided by the government um, and all of these things. And so many people are now perhaps able to make something of a living by working online. Um, and even in Nigeria, perhaps maybe in uh, particularly in some areas in Lagos, I'm sure that is what a lot of people are doing. But for the majority mm. of Nigerians outside of Lagos, actually, you know, because of uh NEPA, because of the unreliability of electricity, I think there's some areas of the country where they only get electricity every few weeks even and so yeah. if you're there it's not you can't just pivot online <laughs> you can't just <laughs> okay. um and even whether it's keeping in in contact with people whether it's I, I can't imagine how many different areas of your life that would affect if you can't rely on electricity even to cook whether it's to for light for so many things
2: it's just a norm, sadly, David, literally. I I mean, it will be great to sort of watch or read about um, an exploration into uh, Nigeria's light crisis. And I call it a crisis, mm. um, not based on the fact that home, I mean, home for me for the past few months has been the continent. But my original home is somewhere where if anything like this was to happen, there would be riots. So... It is yeah. now, unfortunately, a normality here. Um, and it's a crisis because it's just affecting the livelihood of, of so many people. Um, but that's why I respect and love so much about um, Nigerians um, and just how much we quickly get on with things and find alternative ways to keep things running, whether that's in the household, so when the light eventually does come on, ensuring that everything's charged, um, you know, getting a really good freezer for when electricity goes off. Um, investing in solar power and just finding alternatives. And once realizing the fact that NEPA, um, well, there's an acronym that my friend came up with, but the words are quite rude. Um, (laughs) But NEPA as a whole um, just looks to really rob, I guess, sadly, because there's no normal explanation as to why the power cuts are so bad apart from that, because they're in control trying to get a spokesperson at least just to shed light on the issue from that organization has been a failed attempt for many years now. So I think many Nigerians are just like, you know what, it's fine. I've got the generator. I've got my solar power. I've got lots of candles. I've got torchlights. I'll just find an alternative. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. But as you were saying, so your home for the last few months has been pretty much Mm -hmm. all over the continent. So tell me more about your, your journey so far, where you've been, and, and what started this whole expedition.
2: Yeah. So just for a bit of background, um, professionally, um, I have been working at the BBC for the past five, e- well, six years now, um, as a journalist mostly. Um, thank you so much. The anniversary is on the 29th <laughs> of September. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... And I would say specifically for the past two years, I've been working at BBC Africa, which is such an exciting hub um, that exists all over the continent. And even though I was working at the, at BBC Africa, in London, in the UK, where I guess I was born and raised, um, I learned so much about the continent without even physically being there. Um, and I would say that I had this strong dream and desire to want to fully immerse myself in the continent um the more i went back so i've been visiting nigeria probably every year for my entire life um the first time i ever visited i was about three months old and i love the fact that my parents saw it as normal for us to continuously go back home us being me and my five older brothers um to go back home as often as we can you know to actually get to know our grandparents and to learn and immerse ourselves more in the culture more in the language and more in the traditions Um, Even though obviously many people in the Mm -hmm. diaspora have that same upbringing um, in westernized countries as well, which is amazing. Um, But there was nothing quite like just going back to the motherland. And, you know, that was such a privilege to uh, experience um, and to actually get to go to Nigeria as an adult without my parents um, was really great because it just changed the perceptions of can I actually do life here quite similarly-ish to how I would in my usual surroundings? The only difference is that the weather would be a lot nicer Um, and lots of food and lots more traffic. Uh, So it was really great to experience that. And then I um, went to Ghana where I did a journalism internship. So this was uh, before joining the BBC and after graduating from university. Um, So by that point, I'd already pretty much... um, you know, knew quite a lot about Nigeria loved going back. Um, And I wanted to see what it was like in another uh, part of of the same continent, uh, but literally a neighboring country. And I spent uh, just over a month in Ghana and absolutely loved it. And it really opened up my eyes to how diverse our continent is. Now, I know that shouldn't be a surprise, but it's really worrying to know, David, that there are still a vast majority of people in the world that think that Africa is a country. Um, And I guess some people can very much stay warped in that mindset uh, due to lack of knowledge and maybe lack of awareness and and lack of promotion, if that's via tourist boards or companies, etc. So it was really amazing, uh, you know, being in Ghana and again, just uh, learning so much about different cultural tribes and you know eating the foods and listening to more of the music as well um so i would say those traveling experiences definitely aided into my experiences um at work um you know just learning different things to say in the language and working at bbc africa obviously means having quite a large news intake where as you would have imagined, uh, when it comes to Africa and news and stories and headlines, they're not always positive. They're actually quite negative. Um, You know, the things that are constantly pushed in the forefront in the headlines are issues like corruption, war, famine, poverty, rape, misogyny, bad governments, Mm. rioting, diseases, the list goes on. Um, And I was very much so aware of that, but I thought billions and billions, well, over a billion, I can say for certain, people live in this booming continent with so many different languages and cultural norms and et cetera. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of excellence coming out of this as well. So I prided myself on the Mm. fact that I really wanted to focus specifically because I was in a big team with people that had the war stories on lockdown and famine and corruption. And not as a way to paint it in a negative light, but sadly and unfortunately, some of the biggest stories from the continent um, are based within these particular topics. So I said, fine, that's all well and good that you want to present that. Because obviously, as a news organisation, we have to feed our viewers, our listeners, our subscribers with information. We have to keep them in the know of what's happening, whether that's good or bad. And it was really great to see where I fit um, in the teams that I worked in. And I said, I want to bring amazing stories to the forefront. I want to highlight individuals that are doing incredible things, that are challenging stereotypes of the continent. Um, You know, people that are also doing great things within the diaspora. Um, So learning about so many different countries from Madagascar to Malawi to Zimbabwe to South Africa to Algeria um, spurred my interest to want to go there. So I would say solidly about six months before I decided to leave the UK to work in the continent, I started with a plan. I started with a why. I knew that I wanted to work on a particular story, but I didn't know what exactly would sort of marry the idea of me spending time. Um, In these different countries across the continent, as well as traveling, I think it's also important to uh, do a really great engaging piece of media on this. So I decided on a podcast um, and the podcast is actually a a, a compilation, I would say, of the experiences that I myself um, faced and discovered each time I was going back and forth to Nigeria. So one thing that really blew my mind, and I would say this was probably a good four-ish years ago, was when I was in a very nice part of Lagos um, at a bar with friends. And, you know, we were sat in a circle and I realized I'm with a bunch of Nigerians that didn't... that Sorry, I'm with a bunch of Nigerians that were not born in Nigeria, but have decided to live in Nigeria.
0: Hmm. Why
2: is that? It was very, very surprised almost and I had to say it to the group of them I was like guys do you realize what this means this is incredible apart from me who's visiting here for a couple of weeks you all live here and you live here by choice um you know we had Canadians uh, people from France the UK the states that in the latter part of life in their 20s decided to move back to where their parents came from Um, And I wanted to discover that, Um, you know, so I spent a lot of time in Nigeria speaking to people. I did a mini series um, for people moving back to Nigeria when I worked at BBC World Service before joining BBC Africa. Um, And I really wanted to not only broaden my knowledge of what else is happening in the continent, but I wanted to see what other people are, uh, um, if they're doing this, essentially, are there other people in different parts of the continent that are moving back and the answer was yes um thank goodness for you know the beauty of social media and you know making a call out writing a list of countries that came to mind so the countries that i wrote very very randomly but i would say the countries that i had good connections in already whether that's other bbc colleagues that work there Um, You know, the politics that I follow, the creatives that I have on social media that I could also connect with and the travel community that exists there because I love traveling also. So I mentioned Ghana, um, Nigeria already had a bag of contacts, uh, Zimbabwe, Senegal, Gambia, Sierra Leone um, and I think South Africa as well. So I did a call out and within about 24 to 48 hours, I had over 100 emails in my inbox from the call out that said, have you moved back or have you thought about moving back? But I was more specifically looking for people that made the physical move. And so many people had moved back. I thought this was amazing. And how has this not been spoken about properly? So I wrote many ideas down on how I could sell this. Um, I spoke to many commissioners of podcasts at the BBC, pitched it to quite well maybe about five very senior people very busy people and I'm quite crazy because I'm pitching this maybe about a month before I'm about to leave so I'm very much so set on the fact (laughs) that I am leaving Um, but I'm going with a lot of faith and I got a coffee date with each and every one of them Um, and one said yes which I was really really happy about but I wanted to do this on my own terms meaning that the only thing I would get paid for in this process Is the work that I'm producing. Um, I wanted to be in full control of how I navigate, um, you know, how I move around and etc. So that is why it was important for me to make the decision to go freelance. Um, I was a full-time member of staff um, working on contracts with teams, and I had a really good discussion with my editor about it, and she completely understood why. Um, And I think that's another thing that's been so beautiful about working in a department like BBC Africa is that I was, you know, told in confidence, if you're ever ready to come back, the door will always be open for you. So that's another thing that even gave me more faith to, to go and, um, you know, embrace more of the motherland to work on this amazing podcast. But most importantly, I would say, um, for self-development. So once I had that commission in the bag, I was ready
1: to go. We'll be right back after this break.
3: I often find out the hard way that all IPAs are not created equal. Some are hop bombs that forget about flavor, others only taste good if you drink them with a heavy meal. Fortunately, Founders Brewing Company has found a way to enjoy an IPA anytime and at any occasion with their all-day IPA. You can taste the hops, of course, but it's the complex array of malts and grains that make all-day IPA a beer that will grab your attention. Whether you're relaxing after a long day at work or hanging outside with your friends, All Day IPA will become one of your favorites. It's one reason why Founders is in the top 10 of the nation's craft breweries and a staple in my fridge. When you taste All Day IPA, you'll understand how they got there. Look for Founders in your favorite beer store or check out their full line of beer and now hard seltzers too at foundersbrewing.com. Founders Brewing Company. Born and brewed in Michigan since 1997.
0: Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi Advanced Security protects your connected devices, helps you avoid sketchy sites, and sends real-time alerts. So you're in the know. Learn more at cox.com pano. Restrictions applied. Copyright 2020, Cox Communications, Inc. All rights reserved.
1: That's a really incredible process. And I guess, so how have you found things so far? Because, you know, you've started this journey now. How, how many months has it been?
2: It's been four months now. Yeah, four months. Wow,
1: okay. And I think what I find so cool, well, I guess from two perspectives. One, in terms of the fact that you're sharing so many of these great stories from people on the continent and that Mm. you've been doing it for a while, but just hearing about all Mm. the great things that the people are doing and the great things that people are working on and all the reasons that people have for coming back to the continent, um, well, I'm saying back in some cases, maybe they <laughs> were originally from there and they've returned. And in some cases maybe they were born elsewhere and they've just gone back to their, I guess, ancestral home. Um, and then on, on another level, I guess also from your personal experience in being able to travel and experience Africa, um, one country at a time, and perhaps in a lot more depth than one might just by traveling. Cause I've been to, I think maybe, 10 African countries now. Um, But I guess the difference is that a lot of that is very transient. It might just be for a few days. It could be for a week. Um, Mm. But I haven't really been able to see things in a tremendous amount of depth. And also on top of that, you're not necessarily getting to see, you know, how ordinary people live and what ordinary people are doing and getting to make friends there and, and living there for a bit and actually being embroiled in the everyday culture. I mean, what's that part of the experience been like for you?
2: Yeah, um, and you painted it so beautifully in what you said. I think obviously time is a factor, but experience that that overrides all of it. Um, and rightly so, I think that's been mm-hmm. a very big thing for me. Um, and I'm very thankful for the fact that I didn't necessarily come in with any, you know, ulterior motive like, oh bracket list have to do this. It's not like any it's not like a, a New York or Uh, you know or like a Mexico or etc it's a completely different experience but what gave me so much confidence in being able to fully experience these countries is having at least contacts of at least two or three people um, at the very least of people that I knew there that actually lived there um, that could show me you know parts of places that I would have never considered or we haven't necessarily seen promoted on any tourism boards or etc Um, But I would say one thing that definitely adds to the experience is where you stay. Um, I've had experiences of staying in Airbnbs, um, you know, with family, etc., um, so Ghana is where I kicked it off. And it was very nice, obviously, returning back. I, I wouldn't have wanted to start it any other way because, um, again, it's a place I already know quite well. Was, that was about my fifth time in Ghana. So many friends. I practically have a family there because when I first went to Ghana six years ago when I did the internship, I stayed with my host family, who are pretty much like a family now. And okay. it being the time of DETI December year of return meant that I connected with several people um, like yourself, um, which was a really great experience. But I would say that the, the journey for me really began um, when I went to Sierra Leone. So I flew into Freetown from Accra and I was staying with my friend's mum in her very beautiful home. So my friend was back in London and said, hey, you know, th- there's nothing that I'd want more than for you to stay with my family during this time. I already built a bit of rapport with um, auntie as I uh, respectfully called her. Um, and honestly, I, I wouldn't have wanted to stay anywhere else because not only did I live with a Sierra Leonean family, I learned so much about the local language. I learned about the customs, um, you know, things like uh, it being very common in Sierra Leone for families to marry interfaith. Um, so lots of Muslims and Christians um, marry, even though the colonizers are English. Um, you know, they take so Fine. much pride in their local languages, um, Mende being one, Creole being a very common one, which basically sounds like a very intricate pigeon. Um, So, uh, you know, grateful that I can speak and understand some pigeons. So that came in handy. Um, The food was out of this world. I was blown away. All my days. The jollof, the fish, the (laughs) potatoes, the chicken, Oh, my God. Even thinking that about thing it. thing is
1: a question. Like, what's Listen. their jollof like compared to Nigerian and Ghanaian oh, jollof? Oh,
2: that's such a mean question. Because people have David. this argument. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really hard because I've tasted jollof from all of these different countries. But I don't know what it is mm. about the Sierra Leone, Leone one. Um, I'll compare it to Nigerians. So we don't really, as Nigerians, we don't have jollof rice with stew it's not like a common practice i'm sure some people do but we but um as a population like widely we don't we'll have it with chicken or fish like maybe like some garnishes and stuff but it's very common in sierra leone to have stews with your jollof and i think that's what makes it bang 20 times more um all of the flavors complemented each other so well the food is not oily um, it's actually very healthy and very nutritious. I was living in a Muslim household, so 99% of what I was eating was halal as well. So everything that I just tasted was absolutely incredible. Um, I cannot choose, but I can just appreciate it for the beauty of it. And I guess <laughs> okay. I was kind of being spoiled a little bit because, again, I'm staying with my friends, family, and her mom. Really wanted to fatten me up. And I remember maybe three weeks in, because I lived there for a month, she was smiling at me so hard. I was like, Oh, Auntie, what's up? And she said, You're gaining weight. Oh, that makes me happy. And I was (laughs) laughing because I genuinely was gaining weight by how much I was being fed. But that really helped Mm. me to immerse myself so much um, into, you know, the culture and how people live. Because again, I was living with a Sierra Leonean family and um, meeting up with one of my friends, Yasmin, who made the move to Sierra Leone, I think about two-ish and a bit years ago. Um, So just, you know, seeing her from the London where I met her and got to know her, to so her transition there, moving back, so obviously she was a part of my podcast, um, and it's so easy to make friends. Like people are very, very loving, um, whether you're from um, mm. Salon, as I call it, or not. People are very loving. People really love Nigerians there as well, so that worked well in my favour. Um, you know, people really respected my line of work. So making friends and hanging out and going out. Uh, was great. Um, I definitely recommend to get a local feel of the area is visiting markets because that really just yeah. it teaches you so much about haggling slash existing. Because <laughs> not a day has gone by where I didn't have to haggle. So it was a really great place to go into. I think three days in, um, I, I was going to the market and just buying bits and bobs, um, which was great. And you learn so much about the local languages um, through the markets. Um, Uh, Transport, oh my goodness, KKs are something that's very, very common um, in Sierra Leone. Mm. So not only was it great, uh, using that mode of transport is very cheap and you learn about the areas very quickly in Freetown, where I spent a lot of my time. So uh, by learning about the areas, you then sort of have a system in your head of how much it should cost to get from A to B. And if you're charged any higher than that, then you should reduce that immediately. And it was really great having that understanding of the geography and the pricing of things because I made sure to keep that same energy for every other country. And I saw how my friends were as well when given a price that they don't like. I saw that throughout every single country trip. But I think Sierra Leoneans have a lot of sass, which I absolutely love. So I ensured that I adapted that um, from uh, the following trips. Um so yeah, immersing myself is something that it continued from Sierra Leone to Gambia, where I mm. just met the most loveliest, warmest people ever, and um, that just really took me under their wing. Um, and you know, just the freeness of the country. Um, cultural shocks are everywhere, but I, I would say probably one of the biggest was, was in Gambia because I just remember arriving and walking out of the corner shop um, and I was going into a car because my, well, bestie slash driver, shall I say, was waiting for me yeah. um, and I was walking on a pavement and no word of a lie, there was a cow on my right on the same mm-hmm. pavement and a donkey <laughs> on the left and a, on, the safe pa- on the same pavement. Like, what? It's normal. it's normal it's <laughs> normal no no one sort of okay. like holding a, a cane on them or whatever they were walking through oh, they're just walking like, by themselves like, like pedestrians like then it's almost wow, as if they knew where they were going like what <laughs> there's certain things that you can't even capture in the moment because you're like right this is life this isn't this isn't even anything touristy what am i highlighting mm. here obviously it will be you know, entertaining and interesting to friends back in London. But this is normal. No one else is getting their selfies to count. So, Hannah, immerse yourself. You're going to (laughs) be staying in this Gambia for a month. So, yeah, I would say that was the biggest culture shock, but just so humbling at the same time. And it teaches me a lot about myself because you know, my Western side didn't jump out like, oh my God, but in London, can you imagine this happening on Oxford (laughs) street? Oh God. And it's like, no, this is Africa. This is where you live now. And this is what happens here. You know?
1: Yeah, no, I love it. I think that's, that's such a big point as well, because there's so many things that perhaps for Africans or, you know, people of whatever country, there's a lot of things that are normal Mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of what I was saying before about how there's things that we take for granted and there's things that maybe we either expect or don't expect which can be the norm for people just in a very different part of the world are Mm -hmm. there I know you mentioned that that in in Gambia was probably the biggest culture shock but what is there anything that you would say you've learnt from the journey so far
2: oh my gosh um I've been journaling every single day.
1: Oh, really? That's since so
2: good. The first of January. Okay. Um, yeah, and it's it's a constant learning experience. Like, I almost overwhelm myself of how much more I could possibly document this, and I'm really pushing to document it in several ways as well as journaling it, I'm also writing about, um, um, sorry, not writing, I'm recording like little uh, podcast episodes, which are about 10 ish minutes. And it's not necessarily a summary of each country and what I did, but it's a summary of my feelings and the things that I experienced in each of those countries. So I'm pretty much up to date, um, you know, with them. Um, But I would say the biggest learning experience is is learning about how I am as a person um, and just surprising myself of how resilient, uh, um, of how tenacious, of how open and how understanding I am. Because Mm. I feel like you won't really know the extent and the magnitude of your character unless you physically put yourself in that position. So, you know, with the things that I packed and the shopping list, I had like a shopping list that I was compiling over the space of three months. Um, a torchlight, obviously being at the very top of that list. And yeah. you, you just don't really know how you'll be until you're in these um, positions. So a very random scenario is, I don't know, being in mid-conversation with someone in the same household and the power coming off and continuing the conversation, you know, because (laughs) what more can actually do? It's life here. Um, It's normal. Sometimes that power wouldn't come back for 12 to 13 hours. And it's having to realise that it's it's not necessarily about the circumstance, but it's how you come out of that circumstance. Um, Am I going to moan and soak about it? No, because... You know, There's several other things that I have to be grateful for. Obviously, I'll just have to take certain provisions and thank God for the fact that I brought these portable fans with me that are all charged up. I have all my other oh, devices great. charged up. So the sleep may not be 100% comfortable, but I have a little fan to, to get me going through the night. Um, again, I would not know how I would be until I physically put myself in that position going on a nine hour road trip from Gambia to Senegal um, and just realizing, okay, I'm doing this. Uh, I've sanitized everything. I've got all the right things downloaded on Netflix. I have some snacks with me, but I'm not going to be able to hold in my pee for nine hours. And naturally with long Mm -hmm. road trips, it means that there will be pit stops in things that, one wouldn't even associate with the word toilet, but you've got to do what you've got to do. You've got to use that space um, and you've got to realize that listen, this is a place that isn't your your usual surroundings. this is what is called the toilet. So if you want to use a toilet, that's what you have to use. Um, mm. you know and just openness in uh, different cultures um, and different practices. Um, going to countries which were predominantly Muslim um, and mosques, you can find mosques within every 10 to 15 minutes drive of each other. So staying in accommodations where you will be woken up at 5 a.m. by the call to prayer. (laughs) Yeah. And it will be very loud and it can go on for as little as half an hour to three hours Mm. on and off through the loud tannoy of Arabic um, singing and prayer. Um, so just adjusting to those. Um, diet, health is a really big thing that I don't think a lot of the travel community talk about much, but by the grace of God, mm. I did not fall sick or anything. Um, but I think it's, okay, it's yeah, just yeah. being really um, attentive and understanding what your body actually likes. So staying away from certain mm. spices um, trusting certain water brands, ensuring that you're hydrated, not being dumb. And what I generally think is really important to take malaria tablets. So I won't risk it and not take anti-malarial no. um, medication, which I have been doing every single week for the past four months. I have forgotten on a couple of occasions. So I actually have a friend back in London who sets reminders for me and messages me every Friday. Uh-uh to remind me to take it, which I really appreciate.
0: Um. For National Nurses Week, Fortis is honoring the millions of nursing professionals in our community, caring for loved ones. More so today, the need for nurses is vital. And Fortis College and Institutes recruits people like you to train to become a nurse. Do you want to be a nurse? Start your essential career in nursing with a Fortis education. Just visit Fortis.edu to learn about hybrid instruction and online enrollment. Then talk to Fortis by dialing pound 250, keyword nursing school.
2: So, yeah, I, I would say in a nutshell, uh, many of the things that I've learned is um, how to be uncomfortable and being OK with being a bit uncomfortable because I knew I wasn't, you know, setting myself up for a, a five star kind of lifestyle. Um, And it's just been, it's been uncomfortable in so many areas from, you know, sleep to uh, overheating to, uh, you know, power cuts, um, just to ensure that my health is on point, which I thank God hasn't been a struggle. Um, But I guess I prepared myself up for that. I set myself up for that. And I had conversations. I had many conversations with people that were living the life that I was yet to live to tell me more about what it's like. So I think those are, are the main things that definitely aided into me learning more about myself. It's been the biggest learning experience because I know that when I'm, you know, this trip of a lifetime, as I call it, does commence, there's so many life skills that I'll be able to implement. And that's not just for a short period. It's, it will be for a very big chunk of my life.
1: Yeah, no, I completely get that. It's funny, as you were talking, it was just making me remember. It was bringing up so many memories of when I've traveled in Africa, because I actually do remember now. Um, So about 10, almost 10 years ago, which is crazy. Mm. In 2011, I went to Senegal and Gambia. And so much of what you were saying was okay. ringing true for me as well. I don't know the extent to which both of those places have changed in the meantime, but I was staying in a, a village there actually with, with a family. Wow. And yeah, things like you were saying, the call to prayer at 4 or 5 a.m., the the toilets, because I definitely remember <laughs> <laughs> that was a big culture shock for some people because they don't actually have the, um, well, at the time they didn't have those kind of Western toilet seats it was literally just either just a hole in the ground or they would have this kind of like ceramic plate in the ground thing mm. but again either way it's still just not anything there and also light I remember um so it wasn't just me I was with some friends but we we're all staying in different places and you could try and walk to where your friends were staying mm. but there's no light at night and it's not even like it was nepa where the lights have gone off mm. there are just not street lights yep. where i was staying <laughs> and so when it gets dark it's dark dark and you are mm-hmm. walking in pitch black and you're just walking figuring out where you're going and i think there's just so much culture that's it's different but it's real and it's genuine and it's not like because i think this can be the trap sometimes when people want to visit Africa and it becomes this kind of pov- poverty, tourism thing, or they're just like, wow, look how different they live. But it's not because you're not really immersed in the culture. You, you don't really appreciate it for what it is and you don't appreciate the genuineness of it. Hmm. Um, and the fact that it's, it's real, it's not just, uh, kind of a play or a pretend. And also you're not just kind of living in a five star, life you 're kind of living with ordinary people and and facing the same challenges that everyone faces and learning the same things that everyone learns and I think that um says a lot about the experience that you've had as well yeah, so what's next because you're not done yeah are you
2: <laughs> i'm not done <laughs> um, yeah i'm I would say i'm in the the last quarter of this trip, and I still can't believe yeah. that I'm even saying that. My goodness, because mm. I guess it just shows you how important it is to document things. And I just, you know, even though I've not been mm. operating with the best, best... Well, I've had some really good internet, but that's not been constantly throughout. So I'm so grateful that I've been able to, again, document it, as I've been saying. Um, You know, this podcast that I'm working on, that's playing a part. Also working with... Um, with a museum in London about, you know, some of the people that I've been speaking to out here, uh, stories that I've been telling families and friends, travel blogging, uh, journaling, the list goes on. Um, And, you know, we are talking, David, at a time of a pandemic, uh, probably the first pandemic of our lifetime um, that I've definitely experienced. And I am, (sighs) I am hopeful for the world and very prayerful being a person of faith. Um, mm. I don't think this is the end of the world. I just think we're at a stage where we've had to take a chill pill with the very sad, unfortunate instances of, of hundreds of thousands of lives being, being lost um, and we await a new normal. Because if we look back at life before this pandemic Was the world really normal? Was things that were happening in the world really normal? Were the way things were operated Mm. were normal, you know? Did we look after the environment in a a normal way? So I guess we're, we're, we're just sort of in that stage where we're just waiting for the transition. And I, as I've been saying, I'm just so grateful uh, for the timing of this trip and that it's not messed up any of the plans that i really wanted to put into fruition. I was able to freely explore and spend time in up to five um, countries um, and, you know, connected with the most incredible people. Um, and again, was just free. I was outside. <laughs> so that, that has been very beautiful. So I'm just very grateful to obviously be in a, a more familiar surrounding being Nigeria And spending Mm -hmm. time with uh, family indoors Um, and just being uh, productive in whichever way I please, because I feel like there's so much pressure on how people should behave during lockdown. I have been productive in my rest days. So I had a rest day where I planned to, you know, exit bed at 11 Um, Mm a.m., you know, uh, catch up on some programs. Um, I'm actively learning French. Um, and uh, practicing more Yoruba. So really taking things within my stride and letting myself be because we aren't on lockdown, out of choice, but we're we're all trying to work through a crisis. Um, so that's been the main focus of my time um, here in Nigeria. I guess I was a little bit extra fortunate because when I arrived in Nigeria I was still able to freely, Go around for about a week before the lockdown was officially um, put into place. Um, mm. so yeah, planning on a lockdown <laughs> is very uncertain and yeah. very uh, random. But you know, life must continue. So I have been, uh, yeah, working at home mostly, the, uh, w- which is something that I, I've been doing since I left the UK. So as well as working on the various things that I've been discussing. I've also been uh, working on local stories. So anyone that's of interest in the continent, that I think would work well for the BBC program or a, a local magazine um, based in the UK, mm-hmm. which I've been um, working with for a little while actually. Um, and again, as a freelancer, you always want to ensure that you're uh, staying afloat. So I've been doing quite a bit of that uh, and being able to do it virtually has been really great. It's all I've been used to for the duration of this year. Um, so I will stay in Nigeria until the borders open. When that is, is a little bit uncertain. There's been predictions made, as there have been for several other parts of the world. Uh, the borders are due to open up in Nigeria in about the first or second week of May and then from there um from here shall I say I'm hoping to then go to Ghana and it's for a hilarious travel blogger reason and it's because I left a suitcase in Ghana (laughs) um not by accident I promise but it was it was on purpose because um my friend was actually meant to get married in Ghana. So I was naturally going to go anywhere. Ah, I had this beautiful okay. dress made in Sierra Leone. Um, but obviously because of COVID-19, the wedding was no longer able to happen. So I'm going to go to Ghana to collect my suitcase. Um, <laughs> and again, working remotely and virtually, the beauty of it means that I'll just probably stay there for a few more weeks, um, get work done, Um I am really excited to be working with an NGO. Um, it's quite—it's a new startup and they're working towards um, supporting the issues of infrastructure in the continent, which is huge, um, youth unemployment and poverty. And it's a very interesting, I don't know, I would say career change, shall I say? I mean, yeah. I'm still very much so a journalist and I think very confident in saying that I always will be because it's something very natural to me it's something that I've lost sleep over worked at the most random outrageous times um so I still obviously continue doing that and I guess that comes with the beauty of being a freelancer and having freedom of how I work um but yeah I've also been very interested during my time out here um with issues like infrastructure so I think the first week when I was in Lagos um I was at the, the BBC office and um, I have a friend who's a radio presenter, and she said, wow, you're literally so close to me. Um, come over. It will be great to chat to you on the radio. I said, yeah, sure. Google Maps says to get from place A where I was to place B where she was was a 15-minute walk. I step out of a building, and there's physically nowhere to walk. Um, so um, it's a really welcome. big problem um, you know, in so many African countries where drivers are favoured more. Than pedestrians, um, yeah. so I want to I want to look further into it. I want to tap into the areas that journalism hasn't reached at yet. Like I've learned so much about the crooks of the countries and the facts, and et cetera. But I want to know more about the whys. Um, and I was actually recommended this opportunity with an NGO um, by my really good friend and colleague, who thought that I would be great. Um, had a few challenging meetings slash interviews with the CEO and the team, um, because again, it's an area that I've never worked at before, but I really wanted to give it a try. Um, and to be honest with you, David, uh, four months of freelancing has included a lot of invoice chasing, um, realizing that people are mad, um, perseverance and having to be really good with finances. So being able to have a placement with a fixed salary, um, has been a really big relief. Um so that placement begins in uh in May. So um I'm, Okay, sweet. I'm really excited for that and it's only for a few months and then after the 3 months there'll be a review as to whether I would like to continue or whether I've I've been good really. Um but yeah, I'm just really really excited just to immerse myself more into it again learn more about the continent and the beauty of doing this job is that it is remote um so I could pretty much be anywhere that I'd like um so I guess this last leg of this six-month adventure shall I call it comes with a lot of freedom as to who what where and how I could go back to the UK but that is the last thing that I'd want to do um this week And for the next few weeks in Nigeria, there are special chartered flights that are flying home British nationals that have been um, wanting to leave the country since the airport closure. Um, And I have not applied for the opportunity to be flown back because I just don't want to go back um, yet. Um, I think the main thing for me is as long as my friends and family are okay, And that's all that matters. There's not a physical demand or need. Um, As well as being a journalist, I also run lots of communities um, which are based on events. We can't have physical events for God knows where. So there is literally not one pending issue. Yeah, so Ghana, I'll spend a few weeks there, um, maybe up to a month. Um, I've got a family friend who has an empty house for me. Uh, which oh, I'm quite nice. happy about. And um, I think as well as my movements, I also am being very mindful of the need and importance of social distancing. Um, so yeah. I'm very much so happy and fulfilled in not exploring because I've been doing Dora the Explorer for almost <laughs> four months back to back. If I want to go to a cave, yeah. I've, I've gone. The beach <laughs> views. It's not been a holiday. I've literally been living and mm. exploring. So, because I've um t- had such an incredible time doing so much of that for the past four months, I'm very much so happy and content in myself to just chill for the 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 remainder remainder of this trip. Um, if that's just chilling, you know, in the backyards with you know a fresh coconut and just getting through um my work. Um, and et cetera. So I still really want to practice social um, distancing and just do my greater good for the community. And I'm not visiting anywhere new. So Nigeria, which I already know quite well. Ghana, which I know quite well. Um, off the back of Ghana, there's a possibility that I may go to Gambia um, because that is actually okay. where the, this NGO that I'm working with are based. Um and even though the CEO is so lovely and fine and chill to talk remotely, um it would be nice to meet him in person because you know, sure. really respect his work and etc. Um and Gambia is the place that really, really just captured my heart in regards to how beautiful the people were. Um so I thought it would be nice to sort of end it there. And before you know it, it's been six months and I'm back in England. Yay!
1: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) yeah. I think that would have been such a a valuable experience for you long term, like you'll look back on this period of your life, because it's been, you know, it will have been half a year, and that is such a significant period of time, particularly being able to spend it across so many countries, and I'm sure you know, in a few years, then you, you'll have had so many friends in all these different countries that I'm sure you'll probably visit and you'll get to see them in, in lots of different ways and in different contexts in time to come as well.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in. Please do stay tuned for more. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps the podcast and follow me on Twitter. Feel free to shoot me any thoughts. See you next time.
0: How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com.
3: Circle K is America's thirst stop. And Dave's, especially when Dave needs refreshments for family movie night. So Dave heads straight to Circle K, where he grabs icy Polar Pop cups and frosters for the kids and chilled beer for the grown-ups. Enjoy family movie night, Dave. We'll be here for you all summer long. And right now at Circle K, save on all 8 or 12-ounce Red Bull flavors. Buy two, get one free. So make us your first stop. Circle K, America's thirst stop.